We are in the Gospel of Matthew, and I really want to encourage you to open up a Bible. If you brought one, that's great. We have some over here on the table if you didn't. But I'm going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Some of the verses are going to be very familiar to you, but uh, you're really going to want to look at them and uh, go along with uh, some of the things God's going to say to us over the next few minutes as we continue to consider what is the good news that... God's seeking to speak into our lives in these very challenging times, in these very hard news, bad news kinds of time. And we have been doing this for a number of weeks. And so you may recall the whole uh, study in Matthew by finding good news in the person of Jesus. And we looked closely in the Gospel of Matthew, at the person of Jesus. And we found out how good a news it is that he is present with us. He's not some far-off, distant kind of deity, but that he is imminent and close and uh, desires to have a personal relationship with us. We also discovered that he prevails over all kinds of circumstances. He prevails over evil. He prevails over the, over the things that would tempt and destroy your life. And because he prevails in that kind of way, he brings his prevalence to your life and uh, you get to enjoy and to uh, experience his victory. We also discovered that he is very purposeful, that no circumstance in the life of a follower of Christ is wasted. It all counts, it all matters. Everything that you experience as you follow Him makes a difference in you and in this uh, world and for all eternity. And then we uh, began to see just how powerful He is. And as we examine His supernatural intervention in the circumstances of people, we began to understand how He not only does, desires to, but does involve Himself in our lives. And so we had a lot of good news as we just zeroed in on his person. Then we began talking about his teaching. What were the things that Jesus taught us and showed us and revealed to us about himself, about the way that the, the kingdom of God operates, about what's going on in this world? And we primarily have discovered two aspects uh, that are really good news that come out of his teaching. One is that he intends to bless us. And in chapter 5, we spent some time looking at those Beatitudes. Uh, you're blessed about this, you're blessed about that, you're blessed about the other. We also discovered that he intends to transform us. That knowing him, being with him, doing life with him is not just uh, some kind of spectator sport where you watch Christ at work, but he engages us, changes us, transforms us. And we've been spending the last three weeks talking about that transformation in particular. That transformation looks like His working in us in such a way that we have a virtuous life. We begin to take His character. We become like Him. So that we don't live at such a low bar level of life as, okay, don't murder anybody. But he raises it up to the level that you don't even harbor anger. You don't even leave things unresolved and untended to in your relationships. We don't just live at a level where we don't commit adultery. But we don't even harbor lust. We don't even harbor illicit kinds of desires in our heart. Uh, last week with James, you began to see how he's at work in us to give us a graceful, grace-filled kind of life. So that... 
Our marriages can be different from other people's marriages. It's not enough just to have a decent divorce. How can you have a relationship that not only lasts a lifetime, but it, it uh, thrives? And how is it that you can have your walk match your talk and you have integrity in your life? And how is it that you can trust God to settle the books and settle the account for all eternity with respect to what's fair and what's not fair? To settle the accounts of injustice and justice. We don't have to take an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. He's at work in those ways. And so he fills us with his grace to live in extraordinary ways in those arenas. And then today... We're talking about how he is at work in us to uh, facilitate humility in us, which is a very, very big deal to God and to the teachings of the scriptures. Some of you will remember the story that takes place in the Old Testament book of Daniel, the third chapter. In those days, there was a king over Babylon, and that was the world power of the day. And so he was basically king over the world by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. You remember this guy? And Daniel had three friends who got in a lot of trouble with Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember that story? And they had a whole fiery furnace experience a little bit later. But the thing that precipitated that, the thing that brought all that about, is that Nebuchadnezzar went on an ego trip. He decided that he was truly great. And that everyone else should acknowledge and recognize his greatness. And so he had constructed, he had fabricated... A statue unto himself. Now, this wasn't just, you know, a little statue down at the park that you see for some of our war heroes or political figures and things like that. This thing was 90 feet tall. Can you imagine that? This ceiling is 20 something. And so just go three and a half times higher and broader and then cover can you imagine that monstrosity and when the sun would, sun would hit that, how it would glisten and gleam? And uh, Nebuchadnezzar commissioned a band. And every time the band starts song, everyone, Babylonians and Hebrews alike, were supposed to bow and to worship, turn toward the image. And, of course, Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would not do that. And they got in a lot of trouble about that. But I say all that to say this. That is the picture of pride. You go, well, then I'm okay because I've never erected a statue to myself. (laughs) You don't have to. Pride is simply a preoccupation with self. It is an over-concern Overly attentiveness to self, self centeredness, self focused, that translates into selfishness. Rather than seeing ourselves in proper position and place alongside an eternal, almighty God, so that the focus of life is more about. God and who he is and what he's up to, rather than me, myself, and I. And so you go, what? okay, so, you know, everybody would do better to be a a little more humble and think about self a little less. It's a much bigger deal than that. The scriptures tell us in 1 Peter 5, 5, that God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. 
It's a very big deal. It's a very serious deal. And the text that we're going to look at today is going to help us to get there. In essence, this is what we're talking about when we talk about humility. We're not talking about humiliation where we degrade and denigrate ourselves, but we're talking about humility where we just think about self less as we God in such a way where we make much of God and little of self. And so let's look at the text uh, beginning in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. And here's, uh, I'll give you a little preview of where we're going. Jesus is going to lift up three spiritual practices that are common to people that follow God, that follow Christ. He's going to talk about giving. He's going to talk about praying. And he's going to talk about, about fasting. There are a lot of spiritual practices you and I can engage in. And it uh, is use of God to transform our lives and to work, work his character into us. But those three are primary three. And Jesus addresses these three in this text. And here's where he's going with it. It's not only important for you to engage in spiritual practices. It's important how you engage in spiritual practices. Because if you make those spiritual practices about you, then you're succumbing to the problem of pride ever bit as much, if not more, than the person who doesn't even engage in a spiritual practice. So let's begin to see what he says in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have, their, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father... Who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So that's a little instruction about giving. Now he turns to praying. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room Close the door and pray to your father who is in who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. And he goes into talking about or teaching us about the Lord's Prayer. We're going to come back and look at that a little bit later. Move on down with me to verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they display, they disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast... Put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting. 
but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So there's a few things that I want you to notice out of those three examples, because they all are kind of in a similar formula as Jesus unpacks them. First of all, Jesus assumes that you will do these practices. He is not cheerleading. He's not doing the rah-rah. Now, come on, come on. You, you need to give. You need to. He assumes you will. If you're going to be his follower, then when you give, when you pray, when you fast, it will happen these ways. Okay? So there's the assumption that it will take place. Uh, the second thing is, is that he not only assumes but promises There's going to be a payoff for you engaging those practices. He says you will be rewarded when you give as I instruct you to give. When you pray as I instruct you to pray. When you fast as I instruct you to fast. There will be a reward from me, from God. Now, if you do it so as to be noticed by others, rather than doing it to engage God and to exalt God, then the notice that you get from others is your reward. You're saying, you know, that after me and Paul lift me up, then I'm going to reward you. And I would put it. So if he blessed you with provision for some need that you had, if he blessed you with guidance so that you'd know which way to go, if he blessed you with favor so that you could move forward in some kind of relational challenge, if he blessed you with this, that, or the other, all of those would be wonderful, but they all fit what I would call a secondary category of blessing. The first category being himself. you with a capacity fast. We're not talking about the right sequence and the right formula and all. We're talking about simply a matter of the heart. Where it's not about me. It's about him. So, how does all this compare to what we looked at a couple of weeks ago in Matthew 5, verse 16? Where there, Jesus says, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So in chapter 5, Jesus says, do your deeds in such a way people can see it. And in chapter 6, Jesus says, do your deeds in such a way that it's to your And the point is that you don't spend a lot of money on yourself because you're choosing to give to uh, people that have needs, to ministries that are opportunistic for the kingdom of God, etc., etc. There's no problem with letting people know that you have those kinds of priorities at work in you if it's for the sake of showing God is just so great, I want to prioritize in that kind of way. Now, if instead it's for the point of saying, so you should admire me because I'm pretty, you know, good guy here. That's where it's problematic. And the same about your praying and the same about your fasting. Uh, he's not looking for you to get all uptight and kind of uh, legalistic. Uh, you know, you've got to be super secret agent. Nobody can ever know I fasted. No, you don't want to draw it go trumpeting that around. But if somebody happens to notice you're not eating and say, how come you're not eating today? Are you on a diet? 
You're not serving God well to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I just wasn't hungry. You go ahead and say, well, I felt like God has led me to skip this meal today so that I might more fully engage my heart with him. You give a testimony to it. You shine light on what God is up to in you in that kind of way. You see the balance of what we're talking about between things that are in secret and things that you are allowing other people to see for his glory. Now, the Lord's Prayer. A number of scholars have considered the Lord's Prayer to be something that Jesus took from a pretty popular, regularly prayed Jewish prayer. And he transformed it and added to it and made it what we call the Lord's Prayer. Do you see some similarity in what the Kaddish was prayed for centuries before Jesus and what we now have in the Lord's Prayer? The Kaddish begins, glorified and sanctified be God's great name throughout the world which he has created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom in your lifetime and during your days. And so on it goes. I think for most people that are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, you can readily see some parallels. And so here's the deal. We're talking about spiritual practices. Things that you and I can consistently, regularly do that work the grace of God into us, facilitate the grace of God through us, so that we become more like Christ. And so in Luke's gospel, the 11th chapter, we have a parallel to what's going on in Matthew's gospel, the 6th chapter. Both of them contain the Lord's Prayer. But in Luke's gospel, the lead-in sentence says this whole conversation came about because Jesus' disciples said, Jesus, would you teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray? Now, what many have understood that idiom to, in essence, say is this. Jesus, would you give us a prayer? Like John gave his disciples a prayer. That is to say, it was a long-standing Jewish practice that God would give them certain prayers to pray with some frequency and consistency. An example of that, a prime example of that, is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, in what is referred to as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, etc., etc., A good Jew would say that prayer three times a day. A good Jew would say the Kaddish two times a day. Now, I come from a Protestant tradition, more specifically Baptist, that has shunned uh, pre-fashioned prayers. Because out of my tradition, that was considered to be... Uh, somewhat meaningless, that's what some other group did. We don't do that. We, we pray spontaneous prayers, etc. And I'm all about spontaneous prayers. I'm all about conversational prayers with God. But certainly there is a place, a very important place, for God-prescribed prayers, such as the Lord's Prayer. 
And so when his disciples said, give us a prayer, he goes, okay, well, here's your prayer. And what we are going to look at now in Matthew chapter 6 is the prayer that he gave us. And let's consider it for just a moment before we pray it together. So in uh, verse 9, he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, you'll also recognize that there is a formula or a benediction that comes to the end of that that some translations like the NIV that I just read do not contain. But the uh, other versions, like the King James Version does, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now, what are we to make of that Lord's Prayer? It is a prayer that we are invited to pray with frequency and consistency. Some have, uh, have tried to say, well, it, it's a pattern. It's a paradigm. It's, you know, be sure you pray about things that praise God and be sure you pray about things related to his kingdom and his mission. Be sure you pray about your daily needs, etc., etc." I agree. I think it is a wonderful pattern or picture or paradigm of things we should be praying about. But I also think he intended for us to Pray this prayer verbatim as a practice with some consistency and regularity. Now, what are we saying in that prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is to say, would you... We, we invite you, we call upon you, God, to hallow your name, to make your name great, to bring praise and glory and exaltation to your name, your person. Why? Because that's the greatest thing that he can do for us and for this universe is to make himself so great, so manifest, so seeable and discernible. That we can be drawn to him and engage him because that's our greatest need. And because he deserves it. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Such an interesting phrase because uh, if that was in fact something that was also in the Kaddish, that was a messianic phrase where uh, ancient Jews were, were hoping and pining for the coming of a messianic figure to usher in the kingdom, the reign, the presence of God. Your kingdom come, your will, all your plans, all your purposes, everything you're up to, bring it on. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now notice these next few phrases because they are clues about what God's up to with the prayer. Give us this day 
our daily bread. Not me. Give us. Forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation. The point being is that this is also intended to be a community prayer. A prayer that we not only pray when we are together in community, but when we pray it individually, we're still praying for community. So it's not a me prayer. It's a God and us prayer. And as was the case uh, in the ancient days where the Shema was prayed three times a day or the Kaddish was prayed two times a day. For centuries, ever since uh, it it can be historically uh, verified, since the second century at least, if not the first, the Lord's Prayer has been prayed three times a day by groups of Christians all over the world. Morning, night, and sometime in the midday. And uh, when I began to examine and consider some of these things, this has not been my practice, uh, although I've said the Lord's Prayer from time to time in a worship gathering or whatever. I set out to say and to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day uh, for some weeks. And I cannot tell you how meaningful that was to me. Constantly, not only calling my attention to the person in the presence of God, but my sense of connection to his people as I pray community type praying. And I'm going to uh, encourage you and I'm going to invite you to do that, to give it a shot, to purpose from today for some period of time. I'm not saying the rest of your life, but as long as God leads you, pray that. Three times a day. Pray it in the morning as you're starting a day. Pray it in the evening as you're ending your day. And then pray it sometime in midday, like 2 to p.m., uh, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., somewhere in the, within that, uh, that, that time frame. Now, what we have been doing for these minutes is we've been mining for good news. I don't want you to get lost just in the nuts and bolts of a lesson to miss what was good news in what we just heard. Now, I, I mined out about seven things, and we don't have time for me to go and survey you to see what you got. So let's just go with what I've got, and you can, uh, uh, you can tell me later, oh, I also had this, and I'll add to the list, okay? I'd, I'd love to add to the list. But friends, this is, this is the point of what God's up to with us for these days. He's trying to speak his good news into us, and it's not just Bible stories and Bible lessons. It's his activity among us that's good news. And the first is this. There's no more pretending. We don't have to. In fact, he doesn't want us to pretend that we're Christian. Or that we're moral. Or or that we are trying to be biblical. He says, stop the hypocrisy. Now, that word hypocrites in the Greek simply means actor. It's borrowed right out of the theater. He says, stop putting on a face, stop pretending, stop acting like you're generous. Stop acting like you're prayerful. Stop acting like you want to 
withdraw from certain kinds of things like food or media or whatever in fasting. Get real. Be authentic. And if these things aren't true for you, where you want to be and are generous, where you want to pray and do pray, where you want to fast and withdraw yourself from other things so you have greater capacity, if, you don't, if that's not where you are, be real about it. And at the same time, ask Him. Continue to change me, though. Continue to transform me so that that is who I become, so that that is who I am. That's good news, friends. You never, ever have to pretend with God. And because this is God's church, you never, ever have to pretend in here. You go, well, I don't want people to think this or that. Listen, I think this or that about me. I'm screwed up. I'm busted. I'm a mess. I don't always want to do some of these things, but God is continuing to change me so that I have more and more of a desire and a heart for these kinds of things. Second piece of good news is that uh, God sees everything. You go, that ain't good news to me. (laughs) But God says, when you give and nobody else knows about it, I saw it. When you are praying away and nobody else knows that you're praying, I hear it all. I'm responding to it all. When you're fasting and withholding yourself from food and drink and media and all other kinds of things so that you have greater capacity for me, I see that. I respond to that. I reward all those things. You know, I've said this to you before. I as an athlete, I used to play in games, and, and when I would occasionally do something that was pretty good or maybe even spectacular, I would immediately look to the bench to see if the coach caught it because I wanted him to see what I had done. And a lot of times he'd be talking to another player. And I'm like, oh. God never misses what you're up to and what you're doing. And that is good news. The third thing that I'll say to you is that we get to know God as Father. Jesus said when you're praying in secret, your Father knows what you need. And when you pray, say, Our Father. Not, O oh, great deity in the sky. Not, O oh, almighty, magnificent, otherworldly one. Abba, Daddy, Father. Is that good news or what? I'm not sure what's happening in the room here. Let me go on. Number four, good news. We join God in ushering in the kingdom. God could do anything he wants to do anytime. Okay, usher in the kingdom. There it is. But no, because he is committed to forming the Christ life in us, he invites us into a partnering kind of experience with him so that he brings the kingdom as we pray the kingdom to come. You are a partner, a co-laborer with Christ in the eternal activity of God in this world. You see how much your life matters. And then, fifth, 
It's good news. God provides daily bread. Now, for the ancient, that basically meant bread. But for us, it has all kinds of connotation about his and the rest of the New Testament bears this out. Daily, the bread I need is a sense of guidance. I need some leadership in my life. I need some wisdom and some discernment. I need some grace to navigate some challenging and hurtful things. Bread, bread, bread. He'll bring those things to us. Which also means on the other side, I don't have to worry. I can choose to worry. It doesn't make any difference. The scriptures have already said, you can't add anything to God's motivation by your worry. You go, well, but sometimes he's kind of slow. Uh, that's because he's perfect. And his timing is perfect. And his timing is inclusive of all that's going on everywhere all the time. And then in the sixth place, it's good news. God forgives our sin. We are a forgiven people. And because we are, we can forgive others. You know, there's some people I don't want to forgive. That's your problem. That's not theirs. God has given us as a gift forgiveness. Because when we forgive, it releases us from the bondage of this screwed up, messed up situation. Forgiveness is not about the other guy. Forgiveness is about you and what God wants to do in you to deliver you. And so how how can we do that? How can we forgive that really hard to forgive person? Because he has forgiven us. He brings forgiveness in us so that it can come out of us. I could go on and on and on. Number seven, deliverance from temptation. Is that good that he, listen, this is creator God. This is the God that Colossians says has the entire universe in his hands. All those intricacies of everything moving around in the universe, all the way down to the microscopic level. He's holding all that together. He's making all that continue to operate, to function in all of its intricacy. Oh, and Scott's praying. I'm going to pay attention to that. Oh, and Scott's being tempted. I'm going to deliver him from that. Oh, is that blow your mind good news? You go, I still get pretty doggone tempted, though. Yeah, it's an evil, fallen, wicked world in which we live. And there is no temptation that approaches your heart that he doesn't notice and send power and grace to deliver you. Every time you succumb to a temptation, you made a choice. But he was seeking to grace and empower that choice so you would choose otherwise. That is the spiritual battle. That is the warfare. All that takes place in your thoughts and in your feelings and heart. Okay, I could go on and on. I just think we're loaded with good news today. And so here's the deal. For these weeks, uh, we've been encouraging you. Would you share some of that good news with someone else? You've already shared over 250 times some piece of good news over these recent weeks. Would you continue to do that? Hey, on the connection card, on the back side, upper right-hand corner, there's a place that says, I shared good news this week. Would you let us know if you did that? 
And if you did it more than one time, put a number there. I shared it three times. I shared something four times. We just want to continue to see how much good news is God bringing through us to other people. And would you freshly decide to do that today? So here's uh, where I'm going to ask you to go with this. If you have not already, will you repent and turn to Christ? Will you see that he holds life? As God designed and created life to be lived. I don't want to do life any other way but God's way. I don't want to do it without Christ. Again, on that connection card on the left-hand side on the back, there's a line that says, I want to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's where you are, check that. Let me pray for you. Let me follow up with you. I'll have a phone conversation, an email conversation, however you want to do it. And will you be humble and make much of Christ? Engage the spiritual practices, but do it unto Him and for Him. And will you repeat one bit of good news to one person this week? Now we're going to close with the Lord's Prayer. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite us to pray the prayer out loud in unison in the King James Version, which is the one Jesus used. (laughs) I'm kidding. Just really absolutely kidding. But it's one that most of us learned to begin with. And if that's not uh, the version you learned it in, I'm going to have it on the screen in just a moment. But I'm going to invite you to assume a posture of prayer. In the Bible, sometimes the posture of prayer was standing, sometimes it was kneeling, sometimes it was prostrating. It wasn't too often sitting. And so with whatever freedom that you feel in this time, I'm going to invite you, assume a posture of prayer, and let us pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen and amen. may be seated. Father, uh, we bring commitments to you today. We bring offerings to you. We pray that you'd be blessed with this time of dedication in Jesus' name. Amen. Our ushers are going to come forward at this time. Uh, If you're prepared to make an offering unto the Lord or you want to use your connection card as a point of commitment to the Lord, uh, please place that in the offering and uh, we'll continue to worship.